You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So as we mentioned, we're in a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church, and we just invite you to participate at some level. And there's all different ways that you can do that. We encourage you to be praying, hearing from God for your own life, maybe what God's speaking to you in this year for 2020, for you, for your family. And then we're believing God for certain things as a church as we come together. There's information on our website on how you can participate in that. And even if that's something that you've never done, we just want to encourage you to just take a step. Maybe it seems really intimidating to, to fast and give up food. Maybe it's just giving up social media or just fasting one meal during the week or putting something aside that you do on a regular basis just to make some time. And fasting's not about being super spiritual. It's not about saying, look how awesome I am or that we're trying to starve ourselves to get God's attention. We're simply denying our flesh of something that we typically do. And so our spirit man can rise up saying, God, we're so desperate for you. God, we can't do this on our own. We need you to intervene in our lives. And so it's just a time that we set aside. So we encourage you to participate at some level. We're over halfway done now, if you can believe it or not. We're over halfway there and so excited to come together for Sacred Assembly on the 29th. Really hope you're able to join us for that. But something that we've been doing is sharing how prayer has been so foundational, even for us as a church, that when Treeline, even before we got started, matter of fact, before we even had a name for our church, before we knew we were going to be meeting here, before any of that stuff happened, it all started with prayer. And I was so desperate for God to show up because I don't know if you know this, it's incredibly difficult and very intimidating to start something new. Pioneering anything is really hard, right? Well, starting and pioneering a church is incredibly hard work. And I was like, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. Where are the people going to come from? Where are the resources? There's no way I'd be able to fundraise for that. God, that's just so intimidating. I don't know if it's possible. But we just began to pray and begin to see God's face. And I just remember before any of that happened, just so faithful just seeking God, crying out to him, Lord, I don't know how we're going to do this. And so something for us that we knew is that we wanted to be a church that had a very big focus on reaching the next generation. That's what we wanted to be all about. We want to really be known. That's the hill we're going to die on. We're going to reach the next generation for Jesus. And so in that, we just began to pray. I'm like, God, we really need some key people who are going to be able to help lead that charge. You know, there's just going to be some people beyond just a, a casual volunteer. We really need someone who's going to spearhead a children's ministry. We really need someone who's going to lead our students and our teens and, and following after you. So just begin to pray for that. And in that season before we started, it just became this hustle and grind of contacting every person I have ever known. Matter of fact, I have met more people in the last three years of my life than I've probably known up to this point. I have met so many people just reaching out as we're getting this thing started. And so as we do, as in that time, I just contact anyone. So I had a, a friend of mine who I knew from years ago, and we were in a youth ministry group together, um, a, a kind of a leadership, learning how to do youth ministry together. And so she was leading. She was the head of a youth ministry position at a college that teaches youth ministry. So I sent her an email out of the blue. Hey, we're planning this church in Pittsburgh. We just moved here. Uh, we're really looking for someone who would be, you know, really have a desire to help start a kids ministry and a youth ministry. If you happen to know anyone that's graduating that might be interested in coming to Pittsburgh, can you just let me know? So I sent that email, kind of forget about it, honestly. I didn't hear anything back for a couple of months, but it was not out of the ordinary because I was contacting 
seeing all kinds of people just casting that net really wide, being like, God, we just need you to send some people, right? And so in that process, someone, um, Carrie finally gets back to me and she emails me back. She's like, sorry, I had all this going on. Um, but yes, I actually do know these people. It's a younger couple. They um, just recently got married and graduated. They're actually in upstate New York right now. Um, but oddly enough, they just told me they feel God's calling them to Pittsburgh, but they don't know exactly what that means. You may want to contact them. And I'm like, oh, wow. She's like, matter of fact, here are their resumes. And so she sends me their resumes and I'm reading through and I'm like, there is no way these people are going to come do a church plant. I mean, they've got skill. They've got education. Like they should be on payroll somewhere. They do not need to become grinding it out with us in a church plant. Yeah, there's no way. I was like, there's no way this can happen. So I'm like, you know what? what the heck? What do I've got to lose? All they can do is tell me no or no. So I'll just go ahead and contact him anyway. So I contact him. We do one video call. Kind of goes okay. You know, really can't tell from that. Invite him to come to Pittsburgh. I take him to a Pirates game because that's what you do. You take him to our best team. It's basically because we could get tickets for 10 bucks, right? That's why we went. And so we, we, <laughs> so we, we went to the Pirates game, showed him the city and everything, and there was no clear direction or answer. They were just praying about it. And so a few weeks go by, and they get back with me. And I remember being in a video call with them, and they're like, we just both feel God is telling us that, yes, we're supposed to do this. We're supposed to boot. My jaw was on the ground, and you know them as Ryan and Jasmine Kick, who lead our kids in Next Generation Ministry, and I, I shared with them this week, I said, you guys are an answer. You are one of the reasons I know that God answers prayer, because there is no way that someone who's as qualified and gifted and as passionate about the next generation would be willing to come and grind this out with us and do this thing called church planting and just so thankful for them and the answer of the prayer that God, and we continue to see that as we cry out and pray to God through our 21 days of prayer and things that we're specifically believing in. We saw God answer those prayers last year for, for last year for the, in 2019. We're believing that in this year that he's going to answer these prayer declarations. So we encourage you, get on the website, read through those, pray them, take a screenshot, have them on your phone, whatever you need to do, print them, put them on the fridge. But it's not just for us corporately as a church. We're believing those things for you in your life as well, that God's going to show up and do something in your life this year. So something that we ended up with last week, and we're in a series called Praying with Confidence, and it's based on the book by Jeff Lee called Praying with Confidence. And if you've not received one yet on your way out, there's one, we get one for every single person. We want everyone, every household to have one of these. We think it's so important that every one of us have it. And it's basically a, a simple book, a couple of chapters reading about how prayer is effective, how we can pray, what it looks like, and then just 31 days of prayers that if, hey, you need a blueprint, if prayer is new to you, you're not sure exactly what that looks like, it will guide you through those prayers that you can begin to learn, kind of some training wheels, right? That we can begin to learn and put in practice what prayer looks like in our life. And so last week we left you with a challenge, and I don't know if you remember this, we asked you for the next seven days to be praying every day for about 20, 15, 20 minutes every day and see if it's made a difference. How'd you guys do on the challenge? Do you guys do, some of you are nodding your head, some of you are like, oh, that, yeah, that you did say that, didn't you, Brian? I remember that now. That's great. It's hard to start new habits, isn't it? And so if you, if you, I don't know how you were doing. Maybe you did great. Maybe you started well and fell off the bus. I don't know where you are. Just continue with it. Continue to make those steps. We just really want to help us all collectively learn the importance of the power of prayer in our life. And we said this, that many times when we become spiritually stalled in our life, when we stop growing spiritually, it's because we haven't really started taking ownership of our faith. And so that's what we're trying to get 
us to do this month is really begin to take ownership of our faith. And if we want to go to the next level spiritually, we have got to take ownership and responsibility of our relationship with God and spending time with him in prayer. So I don't know about you, and if you're young, you might not really understand this or get this idea, but I, I know for me, I don't know if you've had any experience with vending machines. And I kind of have a love-hate with vending machines because vending machines are pretty cool because there's like, and I even remember as a kid, and I remember being really young and going in and visiting some family members that lived like in a retirement home, and in the lobby there were these vending machines, and it's this big glass box, right? And everything's on display for you to see. And when you're a kid, it's like the holy grail seeing that vending machine. It's like, you're just up on that glass like, oh, yes, Lord. Like, look at it all. It's just so delicious, so amazing. Like, come to me, sweet treats, right? And your parents aren't giving you any money for it. But the good news is as I got a little older, right, I'd have some coins and we'd get something out of the vending machine. And I even remember in college, our dorm had a vending machine in it because I lived on ramen in college. Like, we had a little hot pot. Our dorms were so, like, old school. We couldn't even have a microwave because we'd be popping every circuit and burning the place down. So we were allowed to have a little hot pot. And I would boil water water in it and I would make ramen and like for four years and after that I didn't want to see a ramen noodle the rest of my life. My, I probably had more sodium those four years than was a, like a lifetime allotment but I just lived on that ramen but occasionally you'd get something out of that vending machine you know. Occasionally you had a couple of coins you're like oh man here we go going down there getting that honey bun right. Ooh those flaming hot Cheetos the Gardetto man come on the little rye chips in the Gardetto and thankfully they finally just made a bag of those you can just get the little rye chips. Can you tell we're fasting right now? But anyway and I don't know what it is. You put your coins in, the little metal thing spins, and that down comes that delicious treat, those calories. It's going to be so good, you can't wait for it. But what, does, what happens occasionally? The little wire turns, and then it gets stuck, right? And on every vending machine, in the history of vending machines, what do they put on there? There's always a sign that says, do not shake the machine. The only reason they put do not shake the machine is because the machine needs shaking, right? And so you put it in there, and it starts to spin around, especially like if you've ever been they have them still at rest areas and you're trying to get something it's like do not shake it's like well who's going to give me my money back it's going down you and me vending machine right now right you begin rocking that thing shaking that thing and then maybe you get a bonus chip I don't know sometimes it happens but eventually it comes down you get your treat you get your snack whatever it is and you have to work to get it and I don't know if you've ever experienced that but sometimes we can see prayer just like we see a vending machine what do I mean by that sometimes we feel like we see the vending machine and when we see the answers to our prayer it's like God has got the answer to prayer that we need in heaven and if we just say the right things push the right buttons if we just shake it and fight it and wrestle God down that maybe just maybe he will answer the prayer that we have and so sometimes we can see that and sometimes here's what happens is we get this wrong idea and it's this the wrong idea is this God has it I need it how do I get it? God has it. I need it. How do I get it? And I think we have that for the screen, Caleb. And so this idea of that God has something, it's in heaven. How do we get the answer to this prayer? I need it. I need you to give me that, God. And how do I get it? And so that's kind of the wrong idea when it comes to prayer. Here's the right idea. God wants it. Satan resists it. I fight for it. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that it's just something that I want. If you remember in weeks before that we talked about praying God's will, God wants good things for us. It's not just something that we want, but God wants it for us. So Satan resists it. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that just as much as there's a God who loves you, the Bible makes it very clear that we have an enemy. 
The Bible calls him Satan, the forces of evil, the forces of darkness, and he does not want us to succeed. Matter of fact, he doesn't want God's will for our life. He wants the opposite of that. He wants to bring us destruction. He wants us to wipe, he wants to wipe us out. He doesn't want to know who we are in Christ. And so he is resisting what God's want. And so what does happen is that we have to fight for it is that God wants us to fight for, and that's what our prayers are doing, that it's not this idea that I have to try to get something for God and manipulate what he wants us to do, but we have to understand that there are forces working against us and that we have to fight for what it is that God is wanting to do in this earth. And I know that's not a very popular viewpoint, especially today we're talking about evil being in the world, but just go there with me for a moment. If you just watch 30 seconds of the news, if you take a look at what's going around in the world, there is so much wrong with this world. And you have to conclude one or two things, that there really are forces of evil at work, or it's just purely the wickedness in men's heart that is producing it. But either way, we really do live in a dark world with a lot of craziness going on. And so here's what I want to help us understand today. It's this is God is not like a personal vending machine. He is like a commanding officer. Now, for some of you, you may be kind of understanding this. Some of you may be like, I have never heard of anything like this before. And as we're talking about prayer today, we're talking about praying with authority. And so we got to understand is that, and I know that's kind of a, you know, rudimentary explanation. We don't always see God as like the vending machine or slot machine in the sky. I mean, maybe sometimes we can. But what I want to understand is that God is not trying to keep us from getting something, but that he is like a commanding officer. What does that mean? Is that God in heaven wants us to overthrow the powers of darkness on the earth, and he's trying to use us to bring about his goodwill. Remember, we asked the question, why do I even need to pray? If God's all powerful, why does he even need, why do I need to be a part of this equation? See, God is trying to use you to bring about his good will on the earth. And he is raising up a people of prayer, of love, of obedience, and understanding that we lived in a cursed world, a fallen world, and that God is looking for someone who wants to come and pray and do something about it to help bring about his kingdom to make it a better place. We're going to take a look at what this means and where this comes from in the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was a church planting missionary. And he would travel all around early days of the church, not too long after Jesus. He would travel around and he would start churches everywhere he went. Kind of like starting tree line, right? And this is what he would do. And he started so many churches that he'd get them up and going. And then he'd go to the next place. And when he was over somewhere else, sometimes a church that he'd started needed a little bit of guidance. So he would write them letters. He would help them bring correction, answers questions that they had. And so that's what Ephesians is. It's actually a letter to the church of Ephesus that would have been where about modern day Turkey is right now. And so he was writing them a letter, encouraging them things, teaching them things. And so here's where we find he starts in Ephesians, where we're going to start reading in Ephesians 2. He starts to talk about the pre-Christ condition of people. So before you, before me, if you've not, if you'd came to Christ now, this was where we would be before we came to Jesus. As a matter of fact, if we're honest, we could probably say that a lot of people in the world have yet to accept Christ. And so this really is a good image of explaining the world and what it looks like around us today. It says this in Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. 
once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So it's not talking about a physical death. It's talking about a spiritual death. That once we were spiritually dead, before we came to receive Jesus, we didn't have spiritual life. We were spiritually dead. You can kind of describe it as this longing or this emptiness that everyone has inside of them before they come to a relationship with God. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So I just want to pause there for just a moment. And you see this, this unseen world. Another translation talks about him being the power, the ruler of the air. And so what does that mean? That could kind of be kind of confusing. But here's what we've got to understand. Just back up a little bit. That when we go back and we start talking about the story of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman that God created, and they created, God created this perfect utopia for them. They're living in the garden. Everything's great. Every, and then what happens? They're deceived by a serpent, right? Deceives them. Eat from this tree so you can be like God. You can learn about good and evil, right? And so Eve takes the fruit. She eats it. She gives it to Adam and they fall. And what happens? Sin enters their heart and they're infected with this sin. And not only that, the entire world now is infected. We, they invited the enemy. They invited Satan into this world and infected the world. And that's why so many of the things that happen, there's, that we live in a fallen world. There's a fallen state. And that's why so many things that we can't explain is because now the enemy is, is working. He basically, Adam and Eve invited them into their lives. He basically invited the enemy by listening to him. And so they entered and darkness entered into the world. And now, as you see here, as it talks in Ephesians, this, this hidden world, this spiritual world or over the air that we get this idea that there's a power of darkness working in the world, trying to pull people away from God, trying to deceive people that they won't know and come to know who Jesus is so they can't find freedom in him, can't live for him, can't bring him glory, can't bring him honor. And so now there are forces of darkness at work in our world. And I know that's not a very popular worldview right now. We talked about it. It's not very popular, but it's true. And the word of God teaches this. And basically, I think a really great way for us to understand this, this idea of the power of darkness working behind the scenes in this world. I don't know if you guys ever saw a movie called The Truman Show. Jim Carrey was in it. It was in the late 90s. I think it was one of his like first serious roles, so everyone didn't know what to do with him there because he wasn't being really crazy. So if you've not seen the movie, basically the premise of it is that when his character was a little child, he was adopted by like a TV show. So like network television adopted him. And so they set up this whole alternate world for him that he's inside of this dome, this physical dome that he actually lives in. And everyone is watching him 24-7 on TV. And he doesn't know that he is actually a star of a TV show because they hire all these casts, these actors. And basically, Basically, the TV show is pulling all the strings to manipulate everything in his entire life, affecting everything about him, all of the outcomes. And this is pretty much an idea of what it looks like when we're talking about the powers of darkness working in this world, that you can't necessarily see it. You might be oblivious that it actually exists, but it is around us, that it is something that's trying to pull the strings to push us away from God. There are even elements in a more recent movie, I don't know if you saw this one, called The Circle. And it was basically about um, a social media network that a girl gets involved with. And it's a very powerful social media network. And she starts doing these things and starts, they start really influence her behind the, street, behind, the, behind the scenes, pulling the strings, right? And it starts to affect her life. But then there's this ripple effect that it doesn't just affect her, but affects all the people around her. And this is kind of what it looks like when the forces of darkness are at work in our lives that we don't, might not necessarily know that they're there or want to believe it, but that they're there and they're at work on the earth around us. 
See, what we have to understand, and as we continue to read this, it says all of us used to live that way. We used to be dominated by the darkness, but following the passions and desires of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, his wrath, just like everyone else. So when we read this, this pre-Christ condition, we kind of get this image, these four words, before Christ, we were spiritually dead, we were dead. We were dominated by the forces of evil. We were defeated in this, this spiral of all these things and these influences that the enemy had against us that we couldn't seem to get out of. And then we were doomed. Why? Because the Bible talks about an impending judgment coming against all of those who are not living for him. You're like, man, Brian, this is a super encouraging message today. So glad we're here. So thankful for this uplifting. You had me at Honey Bun in the vending machine, but since then, this has kind of been rough. I know this is kind of heavy, but stick there with me, guys, because here's what you got to know, is that even though this was the pre-Christ condition of our hearts and of the world, is that God had a plan and that he wasn't going to leave it like that. I don't know if you caught the lyric that we were singing today, but that God didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus brought heaven down. See, God sent a secret agent to the world. He sent his son, Jesus, that it was God. He came in the form of a man and that he came to overcome. He sent him into the darkness and he overcame. And so what happened is he comes to the earth and what about 30 years old, he starts doing his ministry in the world. He starts doing these miracles, revealing who he is, these teachings on God. And you think the world would love him and accept him, but the exact opposite happens, right? They totally turn on him and they're like, you down with Jesus, right? They crucify him. They put him on a cross. And as he's dying on that cross, he cries out and says, it is finished. And all of hell is rejoicing, throwing a party because they think they've got one over on God. But just the exact opposite happens. Jesus goes down to hell. He kicks all of their butts. He defeats the enemy. He defeats death. He defeats the grave. And now he is no longer in the grave. He has risen back to God. And now he is seated next to God. And he came to overcome the darkness, that he is not underneath it, he is over it. So take a look at where it continues in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 6. It says, God is so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ, and get this, seated us with him in the heavenly realms just because we are united with Christ Jesus. And so when we read that, it kind of can get lost in translation, but to help you understand basically what God is saying here in this passage is that Jesus is not under the darkness anymore. He is over it, that he is not underneath that influence. He doesn't have to submit to it. He is now over it. He is above it. And because Jesus is above it, it says that we are seated next to him and that we are also above it. Now, some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm seated in this room. I'm not seated in heaven. And when it talks about seated, it's not talking about being physically there with them. It's talking about the authority that we have in Jesus, that he has called us to be more than conquerors, that he has called us to be overcomers, that we are no longer bound or under the darkness, that we are over it, that we have spiritual authority. So when we begin to see God as a commanding officer, that he is sending us back with rank and authority and that we have authority then to take back territory that has belonged to the enemy. That where we go as Christ followers, we walk in Jesus's authority because of what he has done, because of him defeating the enemy, and we can make a difference in this world. 
So what does this look like? I want to unpack four things for us and what this specifically looks like when it means that we have spiritual authority in our prayer. The first one is this. I have a role in bringing healing to a broken world. Remember we talked about what is the purpose? Why do I need to pray? We have a role in bringing healing to a broken world. And where do we start with that? Because that could be really overwhelming because the world's a pretty messed up place. Like, Brian, where do I even start to pray? Well, I really believe that we've got to start with us. In Genesis 2.15, after God made it Adam and Eve, and this is what he said, the Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Basically saying that we can start where we have control, where we have responsibility, where we have influence, and that starts in our own soul. That starts in our own life. That's saying, God, I just ask you, Lord, to have your way in my life. Lord, start with me. Yes, this world has fallen. Yes, this world is dark. Yes, this world is crazy. But God, even with all of that going on out there, God, I need you to start in my life. Lord, I just need to have your way in my life. Help me to overcome these things. Help me to be more like you. Help me to follow after you. Help me to submit my plans and my desires and to truly follow after you. Start in my life to establish your kingdom to make this world a better place. And then after we start with us, we move on to our home. We move on to our family. That we have authority in Jesus' name to pray over our children, over our spouses, over our grandkids. To pray and say, you know what, Lord? I'm believing and standing and saying that the enemy, the kingdoms of darkness, are not going to have its way in my family or my children's life. But I'm believing for breakthrough in their lives. I'm believing that they're going to follow after you, that they're going to know who you are. And then we go from there and you get a new job. And so now you are a representative of the kingdom in the workplace. And you show up in that job and you're like, the kingdom has now showed up here. Why? Because I have authority in Jesus' name in the street that I live in, wherever you go, knowing that wherever you step, you are establishing the kingdom of God, making it a better place. Why? Because you're awesome? Because I'm awesome? No, simply because of the authority that Jesus has given us, simply because of what he has done. And so we start there that we have a role in bringing healing to a broken world. The second one is this. I have a rank. I am over, not under, the power of evil. I am over, not under. How many of you know over is better than being under, right? How many of you would rather be in a supervisory role, right? Because being over is better than being under. And that we have authority in Jesus' name. And some of you, you might be sitting here today and you're like, man, I have... I have never heard anything like this before. Matter of fact, this is kind of stretching and it might be kind of challenging. And as we dive in and talk about this whole series and what it means and today really understanding the authority that Jesus has given, I just want to challenge you as we begin to look into this to, to, to let yourself maybe be open to understanding who God has created you and called you to be in Christ. Matter of fact, if we back up in the book of Ephesians a little bit and we jump back to chapter one, I want to read this to you. And this is my prayer for you as well today. It says this in Ephesians one, starting in verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. And what is that hope? Is that God has called each of us to be an overcomer. His holy people who are rich and glory is glorious inheritance. It's your inheritance. It's not because of who you are. It's simply because of who he is and what he has done. And that's our prayer for you this morning, that you would begin to have your eyes open, receive this revelation, this knowledge of who God has called you and created you to be. In verse 19, it says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. 
This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. Someone say all things. All things for the benefit of the church. See, when we're talking about Jesus being over all authority, it's not talking about earthly authority. It's talking about spiritual authority, that Jesus is over all of it. Matter of fact, there's another translation that reads this way. It says that all things are under his feet, that Jesus has conquered, that he has overcome, that he is greater, and for all things for the benefit of what? For the church. And here's the good news, friends. When we say yes to relationship with Jesus, he's not talking about a building. He didn't do this for all of the benefit of some stained glass and a steeple. When we're talking about the church. He's talking about you. He's talking about me, that he has made him the head over all things for the benefit of you, that he is giving us authority. It's not because of me. It's because of what Jesus has done, and we are with him. I don't know if you've ever seen this in a movie or a TV show before when someone's trying to get into a venue where they say, they're like, I'm with the band, right? And automatically, if you're with the band, you get in, right? Well, they're with the band. I guess they're allowed to go in, right? And it's the same thing that we walk in authority. You're like, I'm with Jesus. Oh, well, I didn't know you were with Jesus. Well, go right ahead, right? And it's the same thing. It's not because of who we are. It's because of who he is, I don't know if uh, some of you have seen this movie, and it's um, movie came out, I think, 2014. It's a true story, and it's a really difficult movie to watch. It's called Unbroken. Uh, I recommend you watch it. It's pretty good. It's kind of tough to watch, a little bit graphic. Incredible true story uh, about a guy named Louis Zamperini, and he was in World War II. He was a pilot. He's shot down, and he's in Asia, and he's in the water for a long time, quite some time. It's a miracle that he survived that, matter of fact. And you think he's going to get saved, but actually he ends up getting captured by the enemy. He gets put in a prisoner of war camp. Um, he's treated terribly. He's beaten physically. Uh, it is unbelievable the torment that he goes through and that he actually survives and lives. It's gut-wrenching to watch this. And so what happens at the end of the movie, and I know I should say spoiler alert, but we all know what happens in World War II because we understand history that we win, the good guys win, right? And so at the end of the movie, they're in the camp. Uh, their enemies are around them, right? And all of a sudden, an airplane flies over and it dips their wing as they're flying over to signify we won. It's over. And so the enemies flee. They take off. They're gone. And so towards the end of the movie, one of the last scenes, Louis Zamperini goes up and he's in the room now where his captors once had control. And he's in the room where they live, that he is no longer a captor. He's no longer, he's able to possess the territory that he was once held captive, but he's no longer, that he is free. And the same thing is true in our lives. That Jesus has come and fought the war. That he has overcome the powers of darkness. And now that we know that he has done this, that it's not simply something because of who we are that he has overcome. And here would be the tragedy, right? Is if we continue to live like captives. The tragedy would be if we continued to live like we were a slave to the forces of darkness and that we weren't able to overcome. But here's what the Bible says, and I want you to get this today in your spirit, that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. The next part is that we have a right to believe for breakthrough and answers. 
See, as you've been searching and praying our prayer for you this year, is not just collectively what we're believing for as a church, but we want you to believe for God to do breakthrough in your life, in your family, in your marriages, in your finances, in your home, in your household, whatever it is that you're believing for, and that we have a right to believe for breakthrough and answers. And I know when we say this, it almost could sound like, well, Brian, I thought you said God's not like a vending machine. We're not talking about that. It's not that God's a vending machine. It's because he has won. That's why we have a right, because he has won and that he has overcome the darkness and that he sends us into the darkness. He sends us into the enemy's territory. And here's what you got to know. If God is sending us into the darkness and the enemy's territory, he's not sending us there to be defeated. He's sending us there because he knows we're able to overcome. And many times we can get twisted up and caught and there's this mentality of, well, if I begin to pray and if I get to stand against the enemy, that he'll know who I am and then I'll have to be afraid he's coming after me. And friends, that couldn't be further from the truth. Matter of fact, the enemy is more afraid about you learning who you are in Christ and learning to pray with authority than you should ever be afraid of him because he is defeated foe. Jesus is over. He is not under. And because of what he has done, victory is our inheritance. And while we are over the darkness, and here's the paradigm shift that we've got to get in our prayer life, that we are not spiritual beggars. We are not coming to God, oh God, please, if you would just, and I feel like we've got to manipulate and do all these jumping jacks, and if we fast and we beg, and maybe God will just do something that it's not the paradigm shift. We're not beggars. That's not what he's saying, that we are representatives of the kingdom of God, and that he has called us to take over the areas that have been pursued and have been owned by the kingdoms of darkness, Matter of fact, that's even the struggle that we've faced as a church. It's not been flesh and blood and just the finances and the people and the teams and the location, but it's the forces of darkness in this area in Pittsburgh that don't want us to establish a church to reach people for God and make this world a better place. Friends, we are not spiritual beggars. You are a representative of the kingdom of God. The last one is this. I have a responsibility to use my authority in Christ. I have a responsibility to use my authority in Christ. So when we read this, something that we've got to understand, that it's not just simply that it's something that we can do that's optional, but honestly, we have a responsibility to do this. This is something that God has called each and every single one of us to do. And here's what truly would be the tragedy as we go through 21 days of prayer and fasting. As we go through this book and understanding that this Praying with Confidence book and this series that we're going through, if we would read all this, if we would do this and we would learn all about it, the tragedy would truly be is if we were to remain prayerless as a people. If we were to remain prayerless as a church. Because here's, friends, what I know to be true is that the enemy wants to keep you from knowing who you are. That he doesn't want you to know the power of prayer. That he doesn't want you to know and experience and encounter the authority that he has given you. And it's not this authority because you are awesome, because I'm awesome. Remember, it's simply because of what Jesus has done. And the book of Ephesians reminds us that we are seated next to him. We are no longer under. Our eyes are open. We're not living like in spiritual blindness, completely oblivious to the darkness around us. And we're not afraid or running scared of it. We're walking in authority in who Jesus has called us to be. What I know to be true is that it's a whole lot easier to blame God, right? It's easier just to blame God with everything that's going on in the world. Maybe like me, you've experienced this. It's just simply to say, God, if you, where were you at in the midst of this, God? 
God, it's just so much easier to say that, why didn't you take care of it? What we've got to understand, if we continue to blame God for everything that's wrong in the world, we will never rise up in the authority that Jesus has called us to walk with him. And the same thing is true. We can begin to blame all the people around us. We can blame different people in different positions. And it's so easy to say, well, it's their fault that this is going wrong in the world. And it's their fault that our nation looks like this. And it's their fault that this is going on. And we got to understand that it says in Ephesians 6 that we battle not against what? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not in the natural. It's in the spirit realm that we are fighting against the powers of darkness. And when we begin to understand this, And friends, if we can really get a hold of this, what we've got to understand is that if you do not pray, the world has no chance of becoming a better place. Because God is looking for some people who are going to rise up and understand who Christ has called them to be and to walk in the spiritual authority. See, as we talked about this prayer challenge that we threw out last week to spend 15, 20 minutes a day, we walked you through a blueprint on what that looks like. You can find that in the book, some things that you can walk through. And it's not just doing this and being praying so you can simply be a better person. It's not simply saying that you could just be a better Christian or a a better citizen. That's not what it's about. It's about being used by God to see the world become a better place. It's about humbling ourselves and truly believing in our hearts this prayer. Like Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, this isn't easy. And I know this is a challenging word. And this was kind of a heavy one today. It wasn't light and fun, but I really want us to help us understand today as we're taking a look at this prayer series collectively, we've got to understand, we're looking at the different aspects of prayer. And I really want us to understand that we've got to maintain this mindset and this posture of victory, that we are not defeated, that the powers of darkness have no control over us. They have no say-so that we don't have to be frightened or afraid, but we can walk in the victory and the authority that Jesus has given us. Would you bow your heads with us as we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you now in your mighty name, Jesus. God, I just pray that today this revelation would hit some hearts, some spirits today. God, that you have given us spiritual authority over the darkness, God, that we are no longer under, but we are over because we are with you, Jesus. And God, that we are no longer going to live as captives, but God, we're going to live as those who have been set free. And God, those of us who have been struggling, who have been fighting, who have been battling, Lord, that if we just begin to change, get that paradigm shift, that we are not spiritual beggars, Lord, coming to you just praying that you would throw a scrap to us, God. But God, that we can know that we can walk in authority representing your kingdom, God. God, that everywhere we go, everywhere we step, in our homes, in our families, in our job, in our school, Lord, that we are walking in spiritual authority, Lord. Not with arrogant egos, but God, humility coming and knowing, God, that it's not because of us, it's because of who you are and what you have done. And because of the ultimate sacrifice that you made, Jesus. Jesus.
to overcome death, to overcome the grave, to defeat the enemy once and for all, God, that we can walk in spiritual authority. God, I pray a boldness would come upon us this week. God, I pray that we would begin to pray with authority like never before, beginning to understand who we are, that we have a right to pray and expect you, God, to move on our behalf because we are not under the darkness and you are commanding officers, sending us into the battle and you are not sending us to be defeated. You are sending us to be victorious. Lord, I thank you. Today, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you might be here today and maybe you need to start where we said, well, where do I start in making the world a better place? The first place that you need to start is surrendering your life to him. We need to all surrender our life and recognize that we are in desperate need of a savior, that we can't be good enough. We can't earn salvation with the matter of fact, as we talked about and read, Jesus was sent into this world to overcome the darkness and he was sent in this world to pay the price for you so that you could have a relationship with the father. That it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter how far you have been from him. That God loves you. That he has a plan for your life. But it simply starts with saying, God, I surrender to your will. I am in. I need you. And perhaps you're here today and you've never said that prayer, but maybe you're here and one point you said that prayer and you asked Christ to come into your life and I don't know what happened. Maybe life just got busy. Maybe the older you got, you just grew farther apart from him and you weren't really putting those practices into place. Or maybe you were hurt. Or maybe someone who was in the church wounded you and was totally outside of anything God ever wanted to happen to you. Because people are imperfect and they're going to hurt us. But maybe you thought, man, if this is the way Christians are, that I don't know if I want to be around this. I don't know if I can believe a God who allows these things to happen. Friends, I don't know the reason. It doesn't matter what it is because here's what I know to be true, that there's a God who loves you, who is madly in love with you, and who has always been waiting with arms wide open for you just to make that step towards him saying, welcome home, my son, my daughter. I have loved you. I am for you. I will always be for you. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. If that's you today, while everyone's heads are bowed, everyone's eyes are closed, and no one's looking around, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to do something brave. Just slip your hand up. I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up when I count to three and say, include me in that prayer on the count of three. One, two, three. Slip those hands up. I see that hand. I see that hand. Awesome. Okay. See those hands in the room. You can put your hands down now. going to ask you to repeat after me so that no one prays alone. Just repeat out loud, everybody. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Come into my heart. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you all of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we cheer today for those who made a decision to come to Christ? Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.